And it can take time. Like I mentioned years for a reason. Like a security posture and uh, a security program takes years to develop fully. You are listening to the Mindful Business Security Show, brought to you by Focivity, where we answer your questions and simplify information security for small businesses. Get the clarity you need to focus on the things that matter. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Mindful Business Security Show. I am your host, Accidental CISO. Our show today is about right-sizing cybersecurity capabilities on a budget. And as usual, we'll be taking calls and answering questions from small business owners and leaders. If you find the show helpful, please spread the word, share it with others, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. My guest host this month stays very busy. A business owner himself, he runs an IT consulting firm that focuses on fractional CTO services, cyber risk and vulnerability management, and compliance. He is also the deputy director for Operation Safe Escape. If that sounds like a lot, it is. He keeps himself heavily caffeinated, and his passion for roasting coffee has led to founding not one, but two coffee companies. Bill Gates once wrote him a letter of commendation for, and I quote, being awesome, And when he isn't working, but still wants to be awesome, he loves to fire up the barbecue and smoke a variety of delicious meats. Welcome to the show, Tony Hunt. Hey, how are you? I am doing really well. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I'm enjoying the holiday season and looking forward to uh, a relatively good respite with the rest of my family. That's, uh, I, I agree. I am looking forward to a break for, for, that, for our listeners. We are recording this actually just before Christmas um, as we're getting ready to head into vacation here in December. Uh, so you'll be listening to this at some point in January or after that, after the new year in 2023. So Tony, I'm not familiar with Operation Safe Escape and our listeners may not be either. Um, can you tell me a little more about that organization and the work that you're doing there? Uh, sure thing. Uh, Operation Safe Escape is a nonprofit organization. Uh, we are geared towards helping survivors of domestic violence, trafficking, stalking abuse, harassment, etc. Um, our main separation from the bulk of most other support organizations in that sector are that we comprise mainly of a large number of security professionals. And that includes law enforcement, OSINT specialists, uh, and digital forensics uh, professionals. In other words, we have resources that most support organizations don't even try to touch. They, they look for guidance and everything. We end up supporting them too. So we're able to actually uh, empower uh, survivors with a better training on how to collect evidence, how to how to document what's happening to them. And we even help them escape with feet on the ground if necessary. We also operate, we give training to law enforcement for both OSINT and trauma-informed care. Um, and the big, higher 10,000-foot stuff that we do, uh, we're helping organizations, including uh, the Fed, advise on how best to secure safe houses, if you will, uh, state uh, the states run all the safe houses, and they're not—they don't have any guidelines. It's wow. whatever they feel like doing. 
So we're helping we're helping close that gap by providing them with a realistic uh, security policy, and that's already been done. But now we're now we're now we're getting ready to score them. Like we're going to be giving states a score on how well they're protecting people. This is really important work. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, I call it food for the soul. Excellent. And you used a term in there, OSINT, that folks that maybe aren't in the security space might not recognize. Can you explain a little bit what that is? Sure. It's open source intelligence, and it is the process of investigation where you're gathering data about an event, a person, anything like that from public sources, like you are deriving your information from non-restricted areas. So what's happened is there's an entire space now of investigative services that focus on that publicly accessible data. So that trail of bread, digital breadcrumbs that we leave everywhere in our daily lives these days. Exactly. Excellent. Thank you. That, that's a really good explanation of that. Uh, so I have to know the, the story behind the letter of commendation from Bill Gates, <laughs> the founder of Microsoft. Is that one that you can share? Is that a story you can share? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can share. Um, uh, keep in mind, I'm old, so this, this story will date me. Um, a long, long time ago in the 90s, you didn't have the protections and uh, the common knowledge of uh, security. People didn't respect it. So you didn't tell everybody that you were focused on security because you were immediately branded. So most of my work was as tech support. Um, I did some installations when I started off in the industry and um, I got into telecom and that kind of graduated into a contract offer from Microsoft as tech support still. At the time, the pay was decent and you know, we, we all have those jobs that got us started in the industry in some way or another. Uh, shortly after I started with them, we were rolling out Windows 98. And very shortly after I uh, got on the Windows 98 team, I got a promotion I didn't know I was getting. I, I know how those go. Yeah, this was a big uh, surprise because all of a sudden, all my cases were coming from the office of Bill Gates. And I thought something had gone wrong. And I was really scared. And I literally took, I printed my caseload and took it to my uh, supervisor. I was like, hey, all these are coming from Bill's office. Is it, are they okay? And um, he started laughing. He's like, no, no, you're on the team. There's, there's only nine of you. You're taking care of all the VIP cases that are coming into Bill's phone. And I was like, they're calling him for tech support, really? And he's like, yes, they're calling him for tech support. The name of the team is MTS Hot. I don't know if it still exists or not still. The team's job was a little bit above and beyond tech support. I mean, we were there to make sure whoever was calling got taken care of, period. Because uh, it was all VIPs. You know, it was like everybody who was influential, they weren't calling them as tech support. They were calling his phone. <laughs> so uh, what ended up happening is they formed the support team and... Uh, <laughs> Surprise, I was on it. They didn't tell me I was on it until I was already getting casework. And um, this particular case was pretty cool. It may or may not have been a chief editor for Forbes. There was a problem with his computer, and he didn't know how to fix it. It had nothing to do with Windows 98, by the way. But he didn't know. 
Nobody knows that stuff. They just call whoever they can call to see if they can get help. And in this case, you know, he, he called Bill. <laughs> so I went ahead and rock started and basically got it taken care of. Now, back in these days, it's not p- plug and play. This was the first iteration of plug and play and it didn't always work. I remember that. <laughs> plug and pray, I think is yeah, how we exactly. referred to it back and, then. And it was also the first iteration of Microsoft supporting multiple monitors. So it, there were, things were crazy and people were trying everything. And uh, bottom line is I got them fixed up pretty quickly. It only took about three hours to get everything uh, handled. And um, the guy was super impressed. Apparently he wrote Bill's office uh, complimenting me on my work with him. And there's no way they would have known it was me without having to check up on everything that happened in the case. Now, back then, every call was recorded. So... Uh, that this meant that they had actually listened to the call, all three hours of it, and and said, "Okay, this is this is pretty good." And all I got was this email coming from his office that says, "Dear Tony, we got a call from I can't I honestly can't remember the guy's name." And they really appreciated how quickly you got them handled. Most people rock this much, and there's a little there's a, like five dashes with an arrow at the end of it, and this is how much you rock and. The air, the line goes all the way across the sheet, and it's got the arrow at the on it. So it's like three times bigger than the other one. And uh, thank you for being a rock star and helping us. And the signature was Bill. And I love it. I was like, I was like, who's Bill? Yeah, it, obviously it never occurred to me that it might actually have been him. It didn't register right away. It That's didn't. Funny. Yeah, I was like, who's Bill? Because I don't know them. They're not. There's nobody named Bill on the team. Tony, what Bill do you know in Redmond? That's where it came from, and I was kind of, I was kind of flabbergasted. I was like, Did I, I just got an email from it. That's cool. I was, I was walking tall for a little bit there, and um, yeah, it, uh, that, that got framed. Awesome. Yeah. No, I, I would imagine so. <laughs> Do you still have it? Uh, somewhere. It's not hanging up. It's, it's probably in the attic. But to be honest, but I did not let that go of it. Obviously, that was a memento that I'm not going to get rid of. Obviously, you've been helping. You know clients of people uh, with computers and cybersecurity for a long time now. Uh, As you're helping your clients today, developing their cybersecurity capabilities and planning, you know, their roadmaps and those types of things going into 2023, um, what sort of trends and, and budget strategies and those types of things are you seeing for IT and security uh, with your clients, uh, small business clients? From our point of view, from our point of view, the 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 environment changes. Like you and I, the environment for us changes every year, drastically. Um, but for them, they are they stick with what they know. They pay for what they know, and they don't change it. So they're using whatever security process they were told to use three years ago. If they have active re- IT resources, it might be a little bit more improved. But without like an MSP that knows what they're doing or an MSSP, it's usually got a bunch of holes in it. And if you had to pick one thing like that you wanted every small business owner to know about security, um, what, what would that be? Better passwords and MFA, man. Every, every breach I've worked is because MFA wasn't there. Every single one. Uh, that has been my experience. That has been the huge commonality across any of the IRs that I've worked in. And I haven't done a, a ton of IRs, but uh, in the last year, year and a half, two years that I have been 
involved with as I've been doing consulting work, MFA has been that commonality. Absolutely. I did one about six years ago and it was a bank and they had a policy. Everybody had an RFID that they had to use for any access on anything. A VP, a power user, got real wise to it. And you know, and he turned off his, he turned off his two-factor on his computer and he got breached with a massive ransomware package. And so, yes, it's still the same, you know, six, seven years later. Get that NFA yeah, and, it, on. and it's tough when you've got when you've got folks in leadership roles that want to make changes, make exceptions uh, just for them, and they they don't understand the impact that that really truly they can can't, have on them. They literally the can't be the exception. They're they're the high high risk target. Exactly. So we've got some callers lined up. Um, we're going to jump over to the phones here. Are you uh, you ready to go answer some questions on the phones? Absolutely. Awesome. Let's go. Do the cybersecurity risks to your business have you confused? Visit Focivity.com slash podcast. That's F-O-C-I-V-I-T-Y dot com slash podcast. And sign up to be a caller on a future episode. All right, our first caller today we've got on the phone here is Dean from Maine. Hey, Dean, how are you? Doing very well. Uh, thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank thank you for being here. I represent a tree service company that's very spread out across the United States. We also tend to are based in a very small local area. Um, we have grown substantially, and unfortunately, a lot of that means the solo IT guy has to grow the organization as they go. It's put us in kind of a a position where now that we want to partner with more organizations, one of our biggest struggles is trying to find that good MSP or good security service provider that we can work with. Um, it's And it's been difficult finding them specifically locally or trying to expand out into that. And any hints you can offer for that service provider connection or how we can begin that networking process would be great. Uh, Heidi, uh, important factors are macro management. You've got a lot of people to manage and they're spread out quite a bit. So you play the hand you're dealt. Uh, you need... Um, one, identify the gaps that you already have. I can see one of them is you have you don't have a choice. You're going to be working decentralized. Um, and MSSPs that you're going to want to work with uh, are going to, uh, they need to offer a really good endpoint protection solution. Um, probably MDR or XDR included. Um, now, the reason for this is that there's, that there's, there's three main goals there is one, uh, they offer the most enhanced uh, protection you're going to get on a mobile device. Uh, two, uh, that usually includes a very strong amount of remote administration, makes it very easy for you to manage in groups or them to, however you're planning on having that happen. Uh, and three, uh, your company's uh, general liability is going to mandate that you have it. You don't know this because you didn't ask the question usually. But any cyber coverage that they offer will absolutely require that you have XDR or MDR running on your endpoints in order to make a claim. They don't bring it up usually. They, they make sure that you have the paperwork, but if you didn't read it, you didn't read it. You know, like the big companies, they know they have somebody in compliance that knows this, is, this has to happen. This little checkbox has to happen. But 
The smaller companies, they simply don't have time or the resources to read through those policies properly. And, um, you know, the, the best case scenario there is that you have protection in place that will vary, that will mitigate very well anything that's going to potentially cost you six, seven digits in reparations and risk. Yeah. And I, I think I, I would just add to that too, the, I'm seeing a shift in MSPs where sort of in the, the old days, um, you know, it was a lot of just break, fix support. Uh, but there's a newer breed of MSPs out there that can bring in a full like security stack and everything with their, their service and ends up being sort of a turnkey offering that they can drop in. So I think if, if, if I were in your shoes with the distributed workforce, as Tony was mentioning, uh, I would probably try to focus on finding one of the more like full stack MSSPs that, or that with that turnkey uh, offering that can come in and, uh, uh, you know, they've got the, and the, the reason for that is they already have vetted those tools and know those tools work together. They're able to support it. And it, it takes a lot of the the work and the uh, figuring out which items, uh, you know, uh, choosing technologies and those kind of things just out of the mix. Uh, so it makes it a lot easier. Uh, the downside is they're not cheap. Uh, and so I'm seeing a lot of these in like the two to $300 a head range, because that's including not just the support and the, you know, the talent, uh, the people, uh, but it's also a lot of the tools and licenses that they're going to roll out for an entire stack uh, of stuff. And they can help with, with migration as well. If you've got certain things that you're already using that are duplicated by stuff that they have, they could help with that migration. Some of them they can, you know, pick and choose and support what you have as well. Um, but I think if, if I were, you know, a, a one man shop or, or running a very small shop in an organization, you know, the size of what you've described here, um, I would probably look at, going with one of these more like full service ones and you know again not not cheap but you're you're getting a lot with that from a a licensing and manpower standpoint um, and a lot of times they can they can offer a lot of uh, advice on on technology and those types of things some security some will offer like virtual chief information security officer or virtual CIO services as well that you can get or if they don't offer them directly they can partner with other firms that offer those things specifically. I think that kind of dovetails into the question um, I have about the whole finance portion is that we have kept everything together with duct tape, bailing wire, string, bubble gum, um, and done a decent enough job as we go. Um, how do I prevent the CFO from having a coronary the first time I present? We've been going on the cheap for so long. You still need all the services we currently offer. Plus, now we're at that additional per head there's two ways you can i mean uh the the whole you know just lay it out in front of them and let them have the coronary uh, get them used to the idea there there is that i mean they get they got to get uh, acclimated to the budget that's going to be required to uh go in there forearmed um i actually had to do this on a huge uh project uh about five years ago where the CFO had absolutely no idea what um, a top-tier uh, security program was going to look like. Uh, the company wasn't large, but they were dealing with massive amounts of uh, finance and assets, and uh, there were just too many gaps. 
uh, to leave it alone. And it, so what I did is I, I started shopping and I got quotes from three of the big players and one little one. I got somebody local who wasn't that large, uh, but I got three of the big players to bid too to see, basically I'd get a baseline on what they could do and what they couldn't do. Make sure that the gaps that we knew we had to get fixed were were covered in whatever they were offering, and um, that says, "Hey, these guys aren't the ones, but this will give you an idea of what everybody's charging and what they're doing for it, what they'll do for us." And um, the trick there is letting them make the decision, and it gives you it usually gives you a year or two of good work in shoring up the infrastructure, uh, and it's paid for. You know, at this point, it's their decision. They figured out what they want. They want to do. They know how much it's going to cost, and the onus is on them to uh, either expand or limit your work. For the most part, it, it worked. the The good part is that they were reliant on me for a determination of budget, not to ask permission for it. I didn't know that at the time, but that's the way it ended up happening, and we ended up getting everything we needed. Something that that may also work well. Um is to compare the organization to a standard of some sort. And there, there are several good ones for uh, small businesses. Um, you know, the uh, Center for Internet Security's uh, SIS-20 framework, the, you know, NIST CSF framework are, are, are two good ones um, that might apply in uh, your particular situation and in industry. But how you stack up against sort of those established industry frameworks um, can help you represent then the maturity of your program to leadership. And it's important to focus on maturity uh, and that all of this, there's there's no absolutes in security and that it all has to do with maturity levels. And that helps them, it, it kind of primes them to to start thinking around maturity and and risk and and mitigating those, ri- those risks. But that then as you as you look at that, you can start putting together sort of a matrix of capabilities that the organization really should have um, and help them understand that the, the security landscape is changing. You know, things like ransomware as a service have really lowered the bar in very recent years to where what you've been doing for many years up to this point um, to keep doing that same thing in the face of what's changing in the industry is probably not going to be a successful strategy in the long term, and and to meet that, you're going to need to to step up a little bit. Um, you may also be able to have a, a third party come in and, and do a security assessment with you, where they actually would you know take you through a structured set of of questions through one of these frameworks, and understand your program as it stands today, and they can articulate as a third party, independent third party, where your um, uh, information security program is on this sort of maturity continuum. Make sure that the assessor is going to work with you as they're putting together the report to make sure that what they're finding, the way things are articulated, are aligned with what you've been trying to communicate already. Uh, so if you've been having trouble getting traction on things, having that third party come in and, and uh, you know, can give you a boost. But at the same time, you'll want to make sure that things are are represented fairly uh, 
and we see this sometimes in, in security and it honestly, it sucks. Um, but we'll see security folks come in and they, they don't have that, that understand that nuance of what's required there. And instead of coming in and really working with you to understand the situation and help you articulate and boost, you know, they come in and say, well, you know, this sucks and this sucks and you're doing this wrong and that kind of stuff. And it, it ends up making it really difficult for the folks that, that are, are there then because it puts you on the defensive in the process. Um, and that's not, it's not fair. It's not a good way to represent that. So um, if you do have somebody come in and do a third party assessment, uh, making sure as you're talking to them, like how they are going to handle sort of the readout phase and the reporting and, and make sure there's a step that they're going to work and collaborate with you um, to make sure that you have an opportunity to say this, yes, this has been captured correctly. This is represented fairly. It is aligned with what I've been trying to communicate um, as well. And so, you know, there may be things that they have to point out that are uncomfortable, but they can do it in a way that isn't, uh, you know, going to make folks feel like they're, you know, not doing a good job when at the end of the day, like this is all about a maturity continuum with security. So if you kind of combine those things together, um, you can get sort of a, a third party outside opinion on the security program and you can you can help frame all of this together for your your CFO as landscape is changing and we need to mature a little more and a little faster than what we have been in the past in order to to continue to be able to to protect ourselves given these massive changes that have been happening and events like ransomware as a service I think you make a very good and valid point on the working together it's not that we're trying to hide what our current standing is on any performance program. We definitely want to get better. We want everyone to have a clear picture of where we are. And it's been some of the partner conversations in the past that have been painful is that those that come in and are actively attempting to sell before they even do the assessment um, that have left a bad taste in the mouth, especially with some of the smaller regional providers that make me leery of working with some others. So that's why the first question about just trying to find the right vendor. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. There's there, unfortunately there are a lot of uh, folks that do consulting and, and this type of work that don't sell, uh, they, they want to sell on, you know, what we call FUD, you know, the fear, uncertainty and doubt and want to hammer home all the, the negatives instead of looking at how are we going to help the organization? How are we going to help them mature instead of uh, taking the, the negative approach? Thank you, Dean. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you calling in and asking your questions because a call-in radio show doesn't work without the callers. So it means a lot to me to have you here and uh, ask of really good questions that are relevant to small businesses everywhere. Happy to be here. Thanks. Our next caller here today, we have uh, Bob from Chicago. Hey there, Bob. How are you doing? Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for the uh, for taking my call. Yes, thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. So, uh, so you've got questions about information security in your small business. So, what what are you looking to understand today? Yeah. So, you know, just to kind of run through it quickly, um, I own a couple bars in the area, and you know, recently, obviously, there's been a lot with cyber security in the news, and you know, you hear about various cyber attacks. And one of the questions that you know, I often struggle answering is, you know, I work with various vendors for our, 
point of sale terminals and things like that. But they're always recommending things like business grade switches and routers. And I struggle because, you know, it's a couple thousand square feet. Why we can't just stick with some of the standard stuff that I could go and spend for maybe 50, 100 bucks at a Best Buy. Uh, hi, Bob. Uh, this is Tony. Nice to meet you. Um, there are a few items that occur on switches that are not readily available. That network equipment, that quote, I'm using quotey fingers, you can't see it, but I'm using quotey business class hardware. Um, the few of the things that do matter are usually uh, uh, regarding their power supplies and their power management and how much processor power they actually put into the switch. Um, switches are usually smart to a degree. Um, they can be self, they can be autonomous, uh, but the reality is the better the switching ability, the less uh, problems you see when the traffic is high, like it's coming from all points. Um, you, you don't see it much if everybody's just watching a video but if there's a lot of back and forth activity, that switch is getting put to work. Um, and that goes for routing equipment too. And that would, that would make sense. You know, we have a lot of POS terminals. We have about seven or eight across the one bar, right? And we have points in the kitchen where they send to. So that, that does kind of make sense. There's also, there's also the matter of warranty and service that goes to them when they do go wrong. Um, like, uh, uh, we'll use Meraki for an, uh, for a good example. Uh, they are notoriously expensive, but they do everything and they do it well, and they're very very redundant uh, to the point of usually being able even if even if your IT service or manage didn't plan for it, if the if the network appliance goes out, Meraki can usually have a replacement in a couple days tops. It's not going to be cheap, but the the a lot of the money that goes into their infrastructure and supporting you when those machines, when those items do have problems. Um, they're not always the perfect solution though. It's not, I'm not trying to sell you on that because in some instances, it's just not worth it. In a bar, it's honestly worth it because when your point of sale system goes down, you're screwed. Pardon my French, but uh, I, I worked in the hospitality industry for a really long time. And when the when the network goes down nobody can sell anything and you may as well just close your doors that is that is correct you know we're in a plaza and the the building owner has their it company come through and the guy always gives me crap about not having the business class stuff and so i've always been curious why it seems to matter you know from my perspective it's a few thousand dollars and that's eaten into my bottom line you might have if you have if you if you have an IT uh, resource that really knows what they're doing, they may not need the business class stuff. They may have network hardware sitting in their closet in case you need a hot swap. They may already have done this and it may have costed cost half what you would have paid an enterprise service for. There are ways around spending that money directly to the manufacturer, but um, they... You know, the brand name is still just a brand name when it comes down to it. Uh, at the same time, now, if you want to just make sure it's taken care of and you don't want to have to get into the detail of it, usually that's where the the managed services come in. And uh, a lot of managed services now use, they will only work with companies like Meraki 
because of all the support and redundancy that's offered with it. Uh, they're very plug and play. They're they're literally swappable and programmable on the fly. And um, in the event of their of a supply chain issue, uh, they're remotely programmable, so they can literally ship it to you from the manufacturer. And all you got to do is, you know, plug in a code and boom, it's pre-programmed. It's programmed in like five minutes. I, I was always assuming that that guy was kind of just yanked me for the money. So you guys are definitely saying then that it would be a good investment if I do care about some of that, some of those ups and downs. It, it would depend on the the business driver uh, as well. You know, in it depends on the you know the the size of the bar, the, the restaurant, the business, and, and what your use cases are. Um, if you have a network there with terminal, you know, point of sale terminals, and you've got entertainment stuff, maybe you've switched from satellite to streaming and you've got TVs around the place that need different streaming feeds. They're going to place, you know, high definition video load on your network and that kind of stuff. And maybe, maybe you get a jukebox that's online and you've got some other, you know, a Kino machine that gets on the network and you've got Wi-Fi for the patrons and you got Wi-Fi for the staff. Like as things start getting more complicated, like that's where the features and the more business class networks, like help you start isolating those different things so that you can apply different levels of quality of service to the traffic so that, uh, you know, uh, your, your phone calls, if somebody's calling in on your, your voice over IP phones, like that your, your phone calls aren't going to get garbled if the video is streaming on all of the TVs as well and networks getting congested. Like this, there, there are some, some things that, that may, that may drive that as well. But if, if you don't have all of that set up or those different needs um, or you don't necessarily need to separate out, um, you know, your, your payment system from your, uh, some other things on your network because of the way your payment system operates or something. And, and again, you get into to, to PCI and, and there be dragons um, <laughs> as they say, but you know, being able to separate those things tends to be something that's that's really important. And then to the to the IT guy or the the building's infrastructure guy, though, what they can support is going to go a long way. And so, if they're being asked to support something that's being kind of overdriven, um, you're using it to try to do something that it really wasn't designed for. And you know, they're the ones that have to deal with you know problems and complaints when it's not working. Um, you know, it, it might be worth looking at that, but I would look at the, the business drivers, honestly, to, to understand like, what does the equipment really do, need to do? What are my use cases? Cause that's really going to inform sort of what tier you need. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, you can isolate your payment systems from other things, uh, using just a couple of these off the shelf, you know, small business routers and those types of things. Like, you know, the, uh, what they call like double NAT and those types of things. Like you can set these things up and create separate networks with lower end hardware. It's it's not going to be as robust. It's not going to perform quite as well, but it also won't be nearly as expensive if you don't need all the bells and whistles for your specific use cases. That's really great to know though. I mean, that, that really is. You know, at the end of the day, we do have lots of smart TVs throughout the bars. We've got lottery machine we've got the jukebox right we do have voice over ip for our phone systems we're going through a bit of an overhaul throughout the complex and that's what's kind of sparking these discussions 
they're looking at getting fiber into the in, into the strip here. And so with that, they're trying to push us who, you know, own our, our little segments to buy more. And as the business owner, obviously, this is my livelihood. And I wanted to make sure that, A, I wasn't getting taken for a ride, but it, that it makes sense. And so you guys definitely confirmed that here. Yeah. And, and those separating those things, the security features as well, are also important because, you know, I know folks, <laughs> let's just say, um, security researchers, um, so to speak. And when they go to bars and restaurants and they connect to the Wi-Fi, like, you know, they pull out their phone and they're, they're, they're poking around, you know, they're seeing what's here. What can I see? Um, and I've been to dinner with folks at, at security conferences where the next thing I know, somebody at, that I'm sitting at the table with has a movie playing on one of the TVs that isn't supposed to be playing. <laughs> Um, yeah, the college kids come around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this stuff happens and it's not necessarily malicious and, and that kind of stuff, but just having the, the, the tools and the equipment that allow you to uh, separate those things. Because uh, the last thing you want is somebody that's looking to see, hey, can I get a video on that TV to realize, oh, wait, I see a credit card terminal over there, um, you know, on, on the network and realize like it's on the same network and you know, or, or a server in the back room or something. If you've got the computer, you know, under the, under the manager's desk in the back, um, you know, who knows what kind of data is on, you know, payroll data, employee data, schedules, all sorts of stuff. Like it's just having, having the right equipment to, <laughs> uh, let you do what you need to do is, is definitely important. And that's not to say it can't be done with less expensive equipment, but it, it gets more complex which may make it more difficult to support. And at the end of the day, that complexity and less stability may actually end up costing you more, as Tony was alluding to with, with downtime. Because in, in business, everything has a cost and downtime is very expensive. In our personal lives, if you know our home router goes down for a little bit, like we go reboot it and it's not a big deal. You, like, you restart your show that you're watching and you don't lose money. Uh, but in in just about any business stability of, of the network and the equipment is, is really paramount because when things are down, you're not serving customers, you're not processing sales, you're, you're losing money every second, every minute of that. And that's, that's very true. Um, you know, going through the last couple months, they, they've educated me. And one of the things we're also looking at doing is going from the old school uh, security system and integrating it to the, you know, an internet based one, right? Like an IOT kind of security system. And so adding all of this in is what prompted the discussion about the complexities. Um, I know enough to know that when I plug it in, it works. And I know enough to know that I've serviced some of these in the past. And I, I don't want to have to keep coming back at 7pm on a busy night or having a call where I'm getting charged the service fees because something went down. And so to the point, um, I guess it does make sense that the, the more you guys explain this for me. Well, thank you, Bob. I appreciate you calling in. This has been great. Good questions and good conversation here. Like I've said said before, you know, call-in radio show doesn't work without callers. So I really appreciate you calling in and asking your questions here. Yeah, thank you guys. Have a good rest of your afternoons. Yes, you too. Thanks, Bob. Take care. So, Tony, we had uh, two really great callers again this week. Um, wonderful questions that have prompted some really good discussion. Um do you have any final thoughts that you want to offer based on the conversations that, that we've had with the callers? In both of these cases, um, there was research that can be done. 
without the help of an MSP or MSSP. Um, is it going to be perfect? No, but there is enough resources out there to give a general guidance and figure out what questions you need to ask and who you need to ask them to. You get a lot of the time you're going to have to filter through all the SEO and the, you know, the crazy books that people are publishing to get to, uh, some of the fundamental subject matter that you need to build a good security, uh, program with or without a CISO in place. What, you know, what have you. In most of these cases where they come up, these are these are situations where they don't have security resources on payroll. You know, at that point, you're shopping. You're shopping for an MSSP or MSP that has security chops that is going to take care of you. Um, there's, there's no perfect way of figuring out who the right fit is um, the relationships are more more important than the bullets uh, because you get a good MSP, they're going to bend over backwards trying to get you into a good spot and take care of you. The the ones that just, you know, if all they're seeing is dollar signs and they just want to sell you a big package and go, well, you're probably not going to get what you want out of it. Uh, that's why I lean on the relationship side more than the technical resource side. Give it a chance. Let that let everybody do their discovery. Figure out what you need. Figure out what you want. And it can take time. Like I mentioned, years for a reason. Like a security posture and uh, a security program takes years to develop fully. Yeah, that maturity that we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. And and, and you know, as you talk about what they need, that kind of harkens back to. So those business drivers as well for, for it, like that's what determines what, what they need is those business drivers. And so if you start there, like that's where you can be strategic about it instead of just, you know, just doing things, you end up with a, a, a piecemeal program that's been put together ad hoc and it's not strategic to support your business. Exactly. So Tony, where can folks find you online? Online, uh, I'm on Twitter, Tony underscore Hunt, real easy. Um, my business website is TonyHuntConsulting.com and you can find Operation Safe Escape at SafeEscape.org. Thank you, Tony. I am going to have to agree with Bill Gates here. You have been most awesome today. I appreciate <laughs> you. you joining me on the show. <laughs> I'm going to frame your email now. There we go. <laughs> I uh, appreciate you joining the show to answer questions for our callers. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, and everybody listening, I want to thank you too. I really appreciate you choosing to take the time to listen to our show. I hope that it was valuable to you. And if it was, please share it with somebody else that might also find it useful. I'm Accidental CISO. And until the next time, stay mindful. Don't miss our next episode. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app and follow us on social media. Visit Focivity.com slash podcast. That's F-O-C-I-V-I-T-Y dot com slash podcast for show information and links to our social media pages. This has been the Mindful Business Security Show brought to you by Focivity. Tune in next time when we'll hear accidental CISO say... I don't have anything to add because I'm just sitting here soaking this up. And, you know, this episode, I'm I'm learning more than I'm helping, it seems. <laughs> <laughs>